Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio has a 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnata, with you guys as always. And today, Josh Marlowe back along with me. We are in the middle of the bye week here for the Tar Heels, heading actually into the back end of that bye week as Carolina now turns around and gets prepared for the game against the Pittsburgh Panthers as they begin the sprint to the finish, a five-game sprint to the finish as they try to take home the ACC Coastal title and head to Charlotte. Uh, Because of results the other day, including a Pittsburgh loss to Louisville as well as a Miami loss to Duke, Carolina is now two games clear of everyone in the Coastal with five games remaining in their ACC schedule. So Carolina... Firmly in control of their own destiny. We'll tell you whether or not we think Carolina will go to the ACC title game uh, at the end of the season later on in this edition of the podcast. We've also got uh, Phil Longo, the Tar Heels offensive coordinator, being named as a possible replacement for a job opening uh, currently in college football. Find out which job opening that is and whether or not we are concerned about the Tar Heels offensive coordinator going there. Also, a couple of injured guys for Carolina have returned to the practice field, and one guy that is done for the season is having surgery on Wednesday. Find out who all of those guys are here on this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. But we're going to start by doing what we normally do this time of year with our midseason awards. And uh, really, the first two kind of awards, the second two really are more just, I, I guess, trios of guys um, that you know we we think you know fit the categories uh, that are there but let's start with our offensive MVP award I think this one's pretty easy that's why I put this one first uh, I don't think that there is really any question as to who this could be I know there are some really strong performances from some other guys I know that Antoine Green currently leads all power five receivers in yard in uh, average yards per catch, 
I know that Josh Downs has had another pretty strong season despite missing two games. Um, I know that you've seen some flashes recently from a guy like Caleb Hood. You've also seen some early flashes from a guy like Amarian Hampton. But when you got a quarterback that is in the Heisman Trophy race and is a guy that I think right now most people in college football probably consider to be inside the top 10 quarterbacks, most of them probably inside of the top eight quarterbacks in the country. Uh, it's hard not to have that guy as your MVP at the midway point of the season. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's very evident that it's it's Drake May because he's exceeded every expectation we had. And once he won the job, expectations were were rather high for him to perform at a high level. And he, he's doing things and he's exceeding things that, that Sam Howell did back during his true freshman season three years ago. And you go back and you... You look at where he is through seven games and you compare his numbers to Jameis Winston, Johnny Manziel, Lamar Jackson, and stuff like that. They're, they're, they're numbers that are very comparable to guys that <clears throat> that won the Heisman Trophy and had their teams competing you know, for a national championship. So I think it's very evident Drake's the guy. If I had to pick a, a second one, I would probably lean that offensive line because I think we we wanted them mm. to come in this year and be more consistent and and I think I think they've done that. They've definitely had their ups and their downs, but this off you know Drake May isn't having the type of success he's having without the way that that offensive line has played because they have pass protected very well. They've given him what feels like a lot of time to really stand back in the pocket and find his open receivers. He has had to make some plays with his legs at times too, but yeah, no, this one's pretty easy. It's it's Drake May, and then there's a wide gap. But if I had if I had to choose a second player slash unit, I'd pick that offensive line for Carolina. Well, that's interesting. I mean, I think if you're looking at that at that unit and you're looking for a specific player, I mean, Awesome Richards. I mean, we've got to consider him there, right? I mean, last year we talked about him being one of the guys that didn't get enough, um, you you, you know enough flack for how bad he played, especially uh, in pass protection. If you looked at the pro football focus numbers, they would tell you that he didn't really play all that bad. But when you watched him, when you saw, you know, when you, you know, gave the eye test to him, he was a guy that really struggled a year ago. I think this year he's been outstanding. Um, And pro football focus kind of backs that up. He has just, he's allowed just three pressures the whole season, has not allowed a single sack. And I think when you watch him, you see that type of player. You see a guy that's been dominant at tackle. So that's a good call. I think he definitely he he is the guy I would look at the most right now and say deserves the the, the most credit. He's also been a really solid run blocker. So yeah, I could see him being in there. But I think with Drake May, you're talking about a guy that so far this season completing seventy point one percent of his passes, two thousand two hundred eighty three yards, which is eighth in the country. But do remember that a lot of the guys that are ahead of him now, since he's had his second bye week, a lot of the guys that are ahead of him have played eight games so far this season. In terms of touchdowns, he is second in uh, college football in passing touchdowns so far this season. Um, he, he is tied currently, or, or was tied currently, uh, or last week, excuse me, with C.J. Stroud, who's now up to 28. So, 
Uh, and again, Stroud has played an extra game, so that's something that you know May could match here sometime down uh, down the stretch of the season and pull back even with them. But you're still talking about a guy that is ranked only behind one of the Heisman front runners and a guy that is widely regarded as one of, if not the top quarterback that will go off the board in next year's draft. So he's doing some unbelievably special things. And I think that if if this team was inside of the top 10 in the country, he would without a doubt be one of the favorites to win the Heisman. I still think he's in contention for it, especially with his rushing numbers. And I think that's what really sets him apart from a lot of the other guys. You know, when you talk about some of these other quarterbacks, Stroud, Bryce Young, all these guys, I mean, he's he's got the mobility too. He's found the end zone three more times on the ground. Um, he's had a tremendous season rushing for Carolina, leads them in rushing attempts, 378 yards on the ground uh, as well with those three touchdowns. So you're talking about a guy that's definitely looked the part to this point uh, more than we really expected. And you're right. I think he is kind of blowing Sam Howell's freshman season out of the water. And I don't know if we thought that was possible um, with how special of a year Sam Howell had that first year at Carolina. But, man, if he keeps up on this pace, you got to think that he is going to have a legitimate chance to you know, be in you know, maybe outside Heisman contention this year but set himself up to be one of the favorites for next year's Heisman Trophy. Well, you move over to the defensive side of the ball. This one's a little bit tougher, but look, there are some candidates here. There's no doubt about it, and I really think, to me, it's two guys. I think that Noah Taylor deserves to be talked about. I think he's had a good season. Um, He leads Carolina in tackles for loss and sacks. Um, He has six tackles for loss, three and a half sacks so far this year. That is easily leading the team. Carolina, here's here's an interesting stat for you, and this will be brought up when we talk when I write the midseason grades up and put those out. The interior of the, of the defensive line for Carolina does not have a single player with one tackle for loss. There is only half a tackle for losses in there Good. from every guy. Good God. So it has been rough. But you have, you do have to give credit to Noah Taylor. He's he's also dropped back into coverage at times. He's had to be a versatile piece for Carolina so far this season. And look, I mean, you, I guess you could technically consider him part of the linebacking core as well because that's where our other two guys come from. You have Cedric Gray, who has 74 total tackles this year, four and a half tackles for loss, two interceptions, two pass deflections, and a forced fumble. Very big forced fumble, as you guys will remember, against Miami as well. Those 74 total tackles currently lead all of Power 5. You've also got Power Eccles, who has 66 total tackles on the season, four four tackles for loss, two sacks, and he has 51 solo tackles, which leads all of Power 5 football. So... I think it's pretty clear that it's one of those two guys. I think another guy that a lot of people will probably talk about is DeAndre Boykins, but I just think he's had, if you look at the coverage numbers, they are not they are not good for him, unfortunately. He has let up a ton of yards so far this season. Not a lot of touchdowns. He's done a good job in that area. He does have the big interception against Miami, but I think it's pretty clear that it is Cedric Gray, Power Eccles, 
and pretty much everyone else. Who would you go with, though, as the defensive MVP out of that linebacker duo? I guess I have to choose one. I mean, yeah, you can't just you can't. You, first of all, you decided to pick the uh, the whole offensive line unit as a man that does the trench report. You would think you'd be locked in on one of your guys here. No, because I think it was a it was a unit thing. We you know, it's really hard to give a defensive MVP, MVP award to a defense that is as bad as Carolina's is. Well, here's the one case that I will make for this. That stat that I just read you about the interior of the defensive line, I'm going to tell you that most of the other edge guys, not much better. Oh, I know. I mean, Kamen Rucker, yeah, he's had some moments, but he's kind of been what Kamen Rucker's been the first th- two years that he's been here before this year. Flash he has in the flashes. Pan. He has flashes, but he's inconsistent. And, and it's in large part because he's undersized and he's playing a position that he probably shouldn't. But, you, yeah, outside of Noah Taylor, you don't have anything in front of you. You have... You have nothing behind you. Oh, I mean, I, know. I, I just there is no way to pass it off. The numbers are absolutely brutal for the secondary, and especially I know the coverage numbers. They don't credit the safeties with a lot of these. They credit the linebackers for being targeted in coverage a lot. I think it's BS. I think there are a ton of times that these safeties have been targeted or that just haven't done their job, and the linebackers are getting credited with the targets. But I mean, to me. It's it's it goes back to what when I talked to Michael Felder of Stadium last year, he he said it. The linebackers a year ago just had way too much on their plate. They had to do way too much, and that's why they looked like they were struggling at times when really they were having to do everything. I think that's exactly the case with these two guys. I think they're playing relatively well. Look, you don't lead the Power Five in tackles and you don't lead them in solo tackles if you're not somewhat good. It's just they're, they're having to do so many different things for Carolina that it, it just like the rest of the defense, there's times where it looks like they're getting picked apart. Yeah, and I definitely know what it feels like. I led the 7th grade Lancaster County in total tackles as a linebacker. Yeah, there I, were some real scrubs out there. You know, my heart wants to go Power Eccles because I think he's probably, if I had a favorite defensive player, he'd probably be it. The dude wears a neck roll, so yeah, yeah. I'm going to go Cedric Gray because... Wait a second, you mean the man that you disrespected in the preseason by saying that Power Eccles and Ra-Ra Dilworth would be the All-ACC members not Cedric Gray. Yeah, because I think you were kind of looking at the same issue we had going into last year with um, Eugene Asante stepping into that starting role. Oh, come on. And, and, it, and it being very evident very early. Dude, but set, come on, man. No, that... Uh, he started. He started ten games. Was it ten or eleven? Yeah, but Cedric okay. Gray started started eleven. But there games. was a lot was... more responsibility. You've got a second uh. year linebacker with them. There was a chance he could be exploited and exposed. And look, he definitely has been exploited and exposed at times, like every member of this defense. But I think whenever whenever this team has needed a play, and they've needed a play in just about every game, he's been a big part in that. I think the thing is, is that I thought going into the year, my MVP 
was going to be Gene Chizik because I thought he was going to transform this defense. It just simply hasn't happened. You could you could argue they've gotten worse from a year ago in certain aspects, and that's a really hard thing to to say out loud because this defense was abysmal last year. But they wouldn't be six and one. They wouldn't be ranked inside the top twenty five, whether they deserve to be or not, without Cedric Gray. I was wrong. I thought by this time, Ra Ra Dilworth would be playing a much heavier role at times for this defense. And there were times where Gene Chizik called his number, a la App State. It did end very well. And 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 then said Gray and Power Eccles, while they're probably they're not the duo I, I thought it was going to be leading the linebacking core. They have been a lot of fun to watch, and Carolina's going to need them to play at a high level the next five weeks. Look, and this, this is a pro-Cedric Gray thing not a uh a what am i what am i what is what is the opposite of pro here anti anti there we go the anti rah rah dilworth thing um it is a little bit of both well not really i mean look rah rah you know he hasn't been very good he's an undersized guy we knew that part of the issue for him here lately is that he's been hurt so he wasn't in the lineup for two games it, so, it, I don't know how you can sort of quantify whether or not he's growing. I I think the thing was, is we, we should have always looked at Cedric Gray as a guy that was going to be a piece. I mean, look, he was the defensive MVP on this group a year ago. I mean, we gave him that award at the end of last year because he played that well. He was really that guy once he took over for Eugene Asante. And I think he's been that guy again this year. Um you know, it's tough because, man, Power Echoes, I mean, 51 solo tackles. That is insane because you have to think, without those tackles, some of them in the open field, I mean, how bad would some of these defensive numbers be if Power Echoes wasn't on this defense? Um, I'll, I'll go with Power just just because of that. I think if, if you look at, you know, he's a guy that has just been so sure-handed in the open field. I mean, he's missed some tackles. A lot of the guys have on this defense, though. But to still have 51 solo solo tackles, to lead all the power five, I think that's huge. And and yeah, I, I can't I can't get off of that thought of if he was not out there making these plays and they had somebody else out there that was nowhere even close to where he's at at this point, how bad would this Tar Heel defense be right now? No, that's still pretty bad. I mean, look at oh, I'm I'm saying I'm saying you could be talking about a historically terrible defense. I mean, you could be talking about a defense that might be letting up 700 yards a game. Like it, it would just the fact that they were able to stop the run at times this year against Miami, against Virginia Tech. Uh, early in the season, they did a you know good job, of course, in the season opener against Florida A and M. A lot of that has to be credited to the play of Power Eccles. He's done a lot. He did it a lot of stuff in every one of those games, especially in that game against Miami. So I'll give it to Power Eccles, but I think both him and Cedric Gray more than deserving, and two guys that I think deserve to be shouted out, deserve to be talked about a lot. And deserve a lot of credit because they're playing on a defense that right now, in front of them and behind them, is simply not good. And has a long way to go to become the type of defense that we want them to become. So, let's move on. Now, I mentioned there's a trio of guys that we are going to give you that sort of fit and attribute here. And 
You know, I thought the the way that we would do it, I think we did it similarly a year ago. But really, it's the three guys that have surprised you so far this year. Um, I would say, really, it's more positive. I would say the three that need to step up, which we'll do next, would be kind of the guys maybe that have surprised you in a negative way that you feel like have to be better here in the quote-unquote second half of the year. Um, but who are the guys so far this year? I don't know if you want to go. You want to go back and forth, I guess, on this. I'll give one. You give one. Vice versa um, of, of guys that have surprised you. I'll go first. I think it's a guy here recently um, that has really surprised me, and that's Caleb Hood. Um, you know, we've seen him sort of fight through a couple of injuries so far in his career. It seems like he's still kind of fighting something off here, uh, even over these last couple of weeks. But he has really sort of taken a grip on that starting running back job. I thought he was really, really good against Miami. Uh, definitely, you know, career performance, that's probably the best that we've seen him. And I think he followed it up with a really solid outing against Duke. Um, he is giving Carolina something that they did not have really the first half of the year, which was a guy that could catch the ball out of the backfield. Um, there were moments that you saw it, primarily with D.J. Jones, but really a lot of that receiving yardage, from D.J. Jones was on one big play against App State. You're seeing a guy the last two weeks that has brought a little more consistency to that backfield in terms of what it can do in the passing game. And you're also, you've are also you also got a guy that has ran for an average of six yards per carry, um, is closing in on Amari and Hampton. He has 253 yards rushing so far this season. And I, th- I think you're seeing a more confident player as the season has gone along. This is the guy that we thought we were going to see when we heard them raving about him back in the spring last year, and I think he's definitely coming into his own and has been a pleasant surprise here for me in this first half. Yeah, no, I I definitely think given how Carolina has utilized the backfield, he's definitely done a lot of different – he's done a lot of good things for Carolina, um, and his ability to – to be healthy is going to be really important for them uh, moving down the stretch because he brings a level of physicality in the run game that this team needs. He does a uh, a much more adequate job in, in pass blocking than you know most young running backs you see at the college level do. So he's definitely a worthy candidate. Um, I'm going to go with another general position group here, and it's been the tight ends. Because I think we knew that they had the ability to do what they've done this year. I think it was really all about, was Phil Longo going to utilize them in a way to get the most out of them? And he has. Bryson Nesbitt has done everything we wanted him we, we, we thought we wanted him to be as a red zone target. Kamari Morales done a really good job. And then even John Copenhaver has done a really good job as well. And so I think with a young quarterback – They've done a really good job helping be that safety valve on third down. Uh, not, uh, Bryson Nesbitt has provided a a big target to to go up and and, and catch touchdowns in the red zone. Um, we 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 talked about Morales setting the program record for most touchdowns by a tight end the last time we were on here, and so they all three have done something in their own unique ways in the in the passing game and even in the in the run game as blockers and even helping on in pass pro that I think we knew was there, it was them being given the opportunity, and all three at times, they have taken their opportunity and they've ran with it. Well, and they've all kind of been a, a little bit different in 
how they affect the game. I mean, you're talking about Bryson Nesbitt being a guy that sort of affected things down the seam at times, but he's also been that guy that can you know catch the third down play if needed, um, is, is that reliable hands guy. Then you've got Kamari Morales, who has really served as that red zone threat, as that safety valve. Um, I mean, look, he's still having a good year, 16 catches, 202 yards. He's had a bit, a couple of big plays in there, but he has the four touchdowns. So that means a fourth of his catches so far this year are for touchdowns, and that's kind of what he did a year ago. That sort of disappeared in the second half of the season. I want to see that sort of continue in this second half of the year as opposed to disappearing like it did a year ago. But I, you, you've you seen a guy that sort of evolved and, and realized that that is his role on this team, and it works well when it counters with what Bryson Nesbitt does. And then with John Copenhaver, look, only six catches so far this year, but he's averaging 23.8 yards per catch on those catches. So he's kind of been the big play tight end, which, honestly, I don't know if you really know that you need a big play tight end until you start seeing that guy show up and you say, eh, this is a pretty nice luxury to have on your team. He always seems to step up and make those big plays. So I agree. They have definitely been fantastic so far this season. Let's talk about one of the other guys. I talked about him a little bit earlier. One of the guys that's been a surprise to me is Awesome Richards. I think he has been... Well, frankly, awesome. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, So far this season, he hasn't allowed a sack. Last year, he was a guy that was consistently beat off the edge. He was a guy that hit the bench a few times. They had to kick Joshua Zudu out there to left tackle and, of course, bring Ed Montalus into the game to sort of get him settled down in certain circumstances. Now, as a senior, this guy looks the part. He has been as good in pass pro as just about any tackle that Carolina's had the last couple of years, to be honest with you. And he's only allowed three pressures the whole season. Uh, there are some other guys that undoubtedly have struggled so far this year. Carolina's got to get better blocking from their running backs to help pick up on blitzes. There's no doubt about that. But I think this is a guy you you were looking for somebody that could anchor this offensive line. And I think Corey Gaynor has also been big for this group, no doubt about it. But I think the evolution of Awesome Richards and him taking that next step has just been huge for Carolina, and I think he deserves a lot of credit. He's not talked about as much as these other guys so far this year on this offense that have led the charge, but this dude has really, really taken a step up and it has made a huge difference for the Tar Heel offense. I vote as a podcast, we change his name from Awesome Richards to Awesome Richards. Well, technically, it actually is pronounced awesome. Yeah, but I want it to it's, be... It's, it's very close. So. I'm talking every time we write about him, we you know we tweet about him. Instead of A-S-I-M, we spell his name out as awesome. I mean, look, if you want to put those in your trench report articles, feel free. Because, you know, I think it kind of describes how he's played thus far this year. I think people would enjoy the clever wordplay as well. Um. All right. So, th- th- this is going to be funny because I-, I have railed on them all year long. But if you say the defensive line, I am going to no. jump over this table and tackle no. you. This this defensive line is one of the biggest embarrassments in my entire life. And that's including my dating life. Okay. Um. Wow. I'm... I'm going to go to the guy that I didn't choose as my defensive MVP who also stands beside Cedric Gray, and that's Ben Power-Eccles. Cause I think, really? As a surprise, though? Did we see him being this good? 
Uh, this ah, uh, I don't know, man. I I think so. there there were a lot of characteristics from the, him. I now from me, I saw him in high school. I saw him as a freshman in high school. That doesn't mean his, anything once you get to college, though. There, with him, there were certain things that you just knew, though, in terms of his leadership ability. I mean, this dude, this dude was a monster. I mean, you're but talking yeah, about a guy I, okay. that's got 51 solo tackles. He's registered two sacks. Like, there was a point in time, and he still is. He is, in some games, Gene Chesick's primary usage of getting pressure on the quarterback. Yeah. Because, oh, that, yeah. because that defensive line doesn't have, doesn't have a pulse. They can't win one-on-one and, battles. And, and they so haven't. I think that's the thing, is because you're asking a second-year guy to, to make a lot of plays, a lot of it one-on-one, but also go, go sack the quarterback. And, and and go provide pressure. Like it'd be different if he was just being asked to to do one thing and do that one thing well. He's being asked to do a lot of different things and, and do them at a high level because without him and Cedric Gray, this defense, which already doesn't have a chance, as you said, would be even historically worse than they already are. And, and so I, I think it's just I mean, a lot of it's fun to watch. Like, you know, I, I compared him and, and Quan to Vern, or him and Ra Ra to being, you know, Bruce Carter and, and Quan Sturdivant. We've got our Bruce Carter. And right, that right now is Power Eccles. He's got the neck roll pad thing going. Like, that just looks badass. I don't know if it scares a post because we're still giving up, you know, 400 yards and 30 points in our sleep. But I mean, like, that's a guy I wouldn't want to run into. Well, those are guys, look, there is no doubt that they are game planning, opposing offenses are game planning for him and Cedric Gray. Those are the two guys. Look, if you take them out of the game, I mean, who is who else is beating you? I mean, let's be honest. So, yeah, no, I, I think I, 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 get, I get what you're saying. I think for me, I was just – none of this surprises me about him because he is just I, – I knew coming out of high school, he was my favorite guy in that class when he came in. I just I loved everything about him, man. He was just a monster from the word go in high school. Like you saw, I saw him as a freshman, and I I remember I called his first game when he played against West uh, West Mech through our old broadcasting school. And I was watching, and I'm like, who in the world is this number one kid out of here? Should have seen me in high school. Look it up, and it's Power Eccles as a freshman. And uh, again, it look it's rare. For freshmen to be impact players, it's becoming more and more common because you're now having guys that are eighth graders that are playing on varsity and everything like that. But I mean, this dude was clearly the best player on the field that night for a Vance team that would go on to win multiple state titles. Like this dude was legit. So from the word go, so I I I, I nothing really surprises me about him. Um, my last one. I don't know. I'm kind of debating here. Do I go in with another offensive guy or do I go with a special teamer? Because I I really like what J.J. Jones has done this year. But I think that... I'll go with Noah Burnett. I'll go with the kicker Noah Burnett. Seven of nine so far this year. Look, Carolina's needed some stability at the kicking position. They have missed that for years since Nick Weiler left campus. Field goal Jesus. And, you know, coming into the year, it looked like Jonathan Kim was going to be that guy. Noah Burnett beats him out. 
And let's be honest, he hasn't been faced with a lot of really important kicks so far this year. I think his two most important kicks were in the game against App State, and he nailed both of them. Those were his first two career kicks as well. Um, He's now had to take over the kickoff duties as well. I think he's done a good job. Not great, but he's done a good job of handling those so far. So I'll go with him. I, I think Carolina was just looking for some some sort of consistency there. And I know he's missed two so far this year, but I feel like he's given them at least at least something to feel positive about moving forward. And look, it, this is one that by the end of the season could change. Our opinion could certainly change of him because there are five games to go, and with the amount of close games that Carolina's been in, it is it is very possible that he will face some more tough kicks down the stretch of the season. But I think to this point, you have to feel pretty good with what he's shown you so far this year. Yeah, no, I mean, he's definitely done some nice things. You mentioned J.J. Jones. I'm going to go Antoine Green, and it's not. I'm not surprised by the production. You're at, I'm surprised. You're surprised by guys, guys that we talked about in the preseason very highly. Actually doing their jobs, yeah. His role, though, because we've kind of viewed him as being a guy that was going to be a possession-type receiver, a guy that was going to be one of Drake May's go-to guys on third downs. He's their deep threat. He's the guy that takes the top off this defense. 13 catches, 384 yards for 29 and a half yards per catch. That leads the country. And he's got four touchdowns. The problem that I've had with them is that he usually has to do something stupid or make a bad play before he bounces back and makes a big one. A la the drop against the Notre Dame game where if he catches that ball right there in front of us, I don't know if the game goes different, but you never know. But then he came back and had two big touchdown catches um, in that one. Same thing, you know, uh, at a later time this year where he had a mistake. I think it was a false start. And then later in the game had a, had a really big play. And this is a kid that kind of like whenever Toe Groves was here, that, you know, if he ever – if, if he would have just walked away, you couldn't have blamed him because his body kept failing him and he kept on getting hurt. And he suffered injury after injury – and he came back yet again this year, and he's he's added something to this wide receiving room that they need because Josh Downs is still doing Josh Downs. We've talked about what the tight ends have done in the absence of Antoine Green alone. You got some things from JJ, excuse me, JJ Jones and Kobe Pesor, but but Antoine Green, it, it's it's not the production per se; it's the role that he's developed into that has been a nice surprise and. Um, I think it's something that has really been a big part as to why Drake May has been so efficient as a passer because we talk about having a three-level score in basketball. Drake May is a three-level passer. He can throw the short stuff. He can throw the intermediate stuff. But really, what as we've seen in, uh, under Phil Longo's offense, when you have the deep ball threat that they have this year, this offense is virtually unstoppable, and that's why this offense is doing the things it's done. And it's the primary reason why Carolina is six and one. Yeah, he's one of the he's one of the leaders in the country in terms of big throws. Even though I've had a couple of people at the job that we work at tell me that he doesn't make big time throws down the field, doesn't have the arm strength, and I'm like, are, are we watching the same thing? Yes. And and look, when you say that he's leading the Power Five in receiving yards per reception. That would be, he's not officially on the leaders list now because he missed the first three games of the season. He would be over five 
yards ahead of the next guy in terms of average. Yep. That's insane. J.J. Jones, by the way, on the official list for qualifiers is seventh as well. 21.7 yards per reception. So Carolina's got two guys that have really shown up as deep threats, and you're right. That was one of the biggest things. Even This was even before Phil Longo was here. When Carolina's offense has been successful in the modern era, it's been when they've had deep threats. What ended the 2016 season? Matt Collins got hurt, broke his collarbone. That compl- that that they lost their deep threat, completely different team. So, I think you're right. That that is what has taken this offense to the next level from what we saw in the first few games of the year. I mean, you're talking about based really on two games, but I mean, even still, throughout the rest of the year, we could have put Kobe Pesoer on here. I mean, do you realize he had two receptions against Duke the other night? He is still tied for second on the team in receptions based off of what he did in those two games, pretty much. And, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just insane. So Carolina's had a lot of different guys that have stepped up. All right, let's talk about the guys so far that haven't stepped up and that need to really become – the players that we thought they could be here in the second half of the year. As you may figure, this may be a little bit defensive heavy. I'll let you go ahead and start this one off. It's not even players. It's units. Yeah, The entire defensive I'll, line. I'll go with specific players. And the right? entire secondary. I want, I want the heat. You don't want the heat. Yeah, I want the heat. No, no, they all do. No, because I'm going I'm to be point blank honest. They've all sucked. They've all underperformed. They've all underwhelmed. Well, except for Cedric Gray and Power. That's why I said the defensive line in the secondary. Oh, yeah, okay. I yeah. didn't say the linebacking core. Like, there's really, I mean, look, has Noah Taylor done some nice things? Yeah. Has he left a dozen plays on the field? Absolutely. Has DeAndre Boykins done some nice things? Sure. Has he left a lot of plays on the field? Absolutely. Well, the biggest problem is there are some guys who have not done nice things and have also left a lot of plays on the field. Cameron Kelly needs to leave the field altogether. Just uh, just I, retire, look, go to the portal, because football isn't your thing. I got to tell you. You're not it's, very good. It's At this point with the safeties, I don't think either one of them should be your full-time starter. I think you should be rotating guys in. I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of over both of those guys. I would there. just play four corners and live with the results. Well, you know, we've we've seen some of the corners that they could roll out there too at times behind these guys. Yeah, I mean, I mean, because I mean, like, look, I'm I'm tired of asking more from Des Evans. It's not going to happen. The, yeah, you know, yeah. the the proof's in the pudding. I want more from Cayman Rucker. I want more from Miles Murphy. But I think at some point you got to well, realize they are what they are. They can be they can be impactful players in a small sample size. The problem is, is they they lack the they lack the ability to be consistent players. Not from a a week in week out basis. We're talking within the game. There could be one drive where they look really really good, and the next drive they're getting they're getting blocked down the football field out of out of the camera angle. So it's it, it's really like I'm I'm just tired of asking more from guys when frankly it's unfair. They're not going to give me what I. They're not going to give me more. So as a unit, collectively, step up, because you've got a two-game lead in the coastal. 
and I still, I, I still don't trust this team to be in Charlotte because of how bad this defense is. No, you shouldn't trust anybody that plays in the ACC Coastal ever. And yes, you are more than justified to feel like we need to see more from every single one of those guys in those units. And part of it is, look, you got to just rotate more. Just play, just play different guys. Like I'm, I'm, I'm over playing the same dudes every week and it not working. There are some guys that you recruited, and it doesn't matter if they are former five stars, former four stars, whatever. They're not getting the job done. Um, and and look for for mine, one of the guys that needs to step up. Look, I'm not, I'm not quite there where you are. Do Miles Murphy needs to be better? There is just no. This is a guy that this year. Can you tell me an impact play that he's had all season? Nope. Like, there's not one that sticks out. He has half a tackle for loss. That's it. And this was a guy that we looked at as a potential All-ACC player. There were some people that thought he could be an All-American. <laughs> like, he was going to be a breakout player. Oh, those guys are smoking crack. Like, stop. I just, I don't. You need more from a guy like that that was looked at as one of your leaders on defense heading into the season. And look, I've seen a lot of people discussing, well, you know, he's just not getting to the quarterback. Look, you don't need your interior guys to get to the quarterback. That needs to be the job of your edge rushers who simply need to be better as well. But I just want to see a guy that has some sort of impact inside. I haven't felt that from him at any point this year. I haven't felt a guy that can get off of blocks and stop a run in the backfield. I haven't felt a guy that can, you know, make a move on a on a center or a guard and at least put a little pressure on the quarterback. That just hasn't happened this year. And you need that to happen at some point for you if you want to be better on the defensive side of the football. So that's the guy to me that I'm – I got a challenge. There is no doubt in my mind that if you want to take a step on defense, you need Miles Murphy to be that guy in the middle, especially now that Ray Vowasik is out. Because, look, man, Kevin Hester did some good things in the game against Miami. He was non-existent in the game against Duke. And he's still a guy that is a little undersized. For the nose tackle position, that wasn't that wasn't originally what he was brought there to do. So, you got him. Travis Shaw's a true freshman, hasn't played a whole lot, and I mean you're you're going to have other guys that you may try there, but it's pretty much going to be up to you on the interior of that defensive line to start making an impact. And to me, it's got to start now. So, are you are you t- was that a two for one for you to start off with? Or is that just one? No, we'll give him two for one. Okay. Yeah, yeah we'll 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 give him the easy way out. All right. So then I'll I'll go with somebody specifically out of that unit that I want to see step up. Out of the defensive backfield, I think the guy that I I need to see step up in the second half of the year is Tony Grimes. I I gotta tell you, I have zero hope for the safeties. That's they are playing the same dudes. And right now, there is just nothing there. These are guys that you can look at week to week and tell, man, Cameron Kelly, Geo Biggers, look, I get it. I, I I get that you're putting the effort in. You guys just aren't power five players. 
Like you're not you're not showing me right now that you are power five players. These dudes, and I think part there is definitely part of it that goes into coaching because there are some horrendous tackling angles that are taken by this team, primarily those two. I mean, my God, in the open field, it is just brutal sometimes. But I want to see Tony Grimes step up and be that lockdown corner that we know he's capable of being. Look, he has six pass deflections this year. He has had moments where he's looked good. But I need him to be that type of lockdown corner. You can't have some of these lapses that you've had. Go back to the Miami game. He was playing a good game, but lets up that deep touchdown pass to Colby Young. Like, you've got to avoid those types of big plays with this defense. And look, I get it. You need help from your safeties. But at this point, I don't know how much of it you're going to ha- you're gonna get. You just need to, the ones that you can control, you have to be able to control those. I think this dude is more than capable of it. And I think the guy opposite of him has shown signs of being better the last couple of weeks, too, in Storm Duck. But you need to be able to do that down the stretch of the season because if you can prevent some of these big-time wide receivers that you're going to face down the stretch from hurting you, then you're going to have a chance. Because, look, especially not as much this week against Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh kind of does it through multiple guys. They also use the tight end a lot, which is a concern. But when you get to the games against... A.T. Perry and Wake Forest. The week before that, you've got Dontavian Wicks and Virginia. I know Virginia's not good. Dontavian Wicks sure as hell is. So you got to be ready for that. So this is where I need to see him step up. Who's the last uh, one that you want to see step up? Specific player or, or, or what? I think I think you need I think you need more from an, another running back outside of Caleb Hood. And, look, I know Amarian Hampton leads the team, leads the running back room overall with, with rushing yards at 345. A lot of those come in, in, in really two games. And I say this because I think we can't count on Caleb Hood being healthy the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at the track record, it's, it's, just, it's just not how it works. It's unfortunate, but the way – and a lot of it's the way he plays where he plays with a level of physicality – where his body absorbs, you know, it, it can only handle so much contact. So I think between whether it's Hampton, Elijah Green, DJ Jones, one of those guys is going to need to step up and provide um, some some more depth in that running back room because there's going to be a game or maybe two where you need someone else to carry the rock for you so I, I'll, I'll go Hampton because that's the guy we've seen the most, and that's the guy that you can clearly see. We, we don't have any words about him moving forward. He's going to be a big-time player here. He's, gonna, he's already done some special things. He's going to do some special things into the future. But I do feel like if Carolina wants to, wants to you know, outscore and win their way and compete for an ACC title, they're going to need another running back to really step up and be a consistent contributor. I'm looking at Martin Hampton, and he's the guy to fill that that hole as we close down the season starting on Saturday with Pitt. Yeah, I feel like that's probably the fairly obvious one. Don't sleep on Elijah Green either after what he did against Duke. I think that's that, that could be a guy that's similar to British Brooks last year when he got his opportunity shined enough to where the staff says, hey, let's get this dude more reps. And he starts to take over a little bit of a role. He's got some really good speed back there that he showed off in that game against the Blue Devils. 
You know, the guy that I'll look at, I'll go to the offensive line. Um, and I challenged this guy here a couple weeks ago, and I thought in the game against Duke he played rather well. But you really need to see him have a, a strong second half to the season. And that's Ed Montalus. Carolina has had some trouble allowing pressure so far this year. Ed Montalus has the most pressure allowed so far this year out of Tar Heel offensive linemen. He does not grade above a 48 in any category on pro football focus in terms of run blocking, pass blocking, or overall grade. He, he just, that's a guy that I, I know at this point, I don't think he is a full-time starter. If you had another guy in there that you believed in more, you would put that guy in. But I don't know if Carolina has another guy that they believe in more at this point. So you need to see Ed Montalas step up here and show that, look, he is capable of handling himself for these last five games, six games of the season. Um, maybe seven. That's what we're hoping for. Um, I think, he, you know, again, against Duke, he showed that. But there have been some moments that have been really rough for him. If Carolina is going to continue to be able to move the ball the way they do on offense, and if they're going to mainly avoid what happened against Notre Dame, because he was one of the guys that really struggled the most against Notre Dame, then he's got to play well moving forward. I think he's capable of doing it. It's just a matter of actually putting that on film actually going out there on Saturdays and doing what you have to do in order for Carolina's offense to remain one of the best in the country because right now, in order for them to win games, it frankly has no choice but to be one of the best in the country. So that is our look at midseason awards, uh, superlatives as well. Uh, let's you know give our midseason uh, record predictions at this point. So Carolina the rest of the way so far – we're just going to go up to the the end of the regular season. They have Pittsburgh at home on Saturday. Then they have a two-game roadie against Virginia and Wake Forest. And then you finish the season with Georgia Tech at home and NC State at home on Black Friday. You look at that, ske- that schedule down the stretch of the season. Ultimately, at the end of the year, what do you think Carolina's final record is at this point? 10-2. and two. They shouldn't lose at home. They The rest of the way, they should beat Pittsburgh, something they haven't done since Mac Brown came back. It's been kind of weird how they were undefeated against Pittsburgh under Larry Fedora, and now they are defeated against Pittsburgh under Mac Brown. Both in overtime as well. They they should beat Virginia, who is god-awful. <laughs> um, that's, that's putting it lightly, yes. Yes, uh, I th- I think they'll lose that Wake Forest because I think the way these games have gone the last couple years, Wake Forest is due for a win in the series, um, and then they should beat Georgia Tech, and then State's a team that, you know, with their quarterback situation, they're just a different team. I think if Devin Leary was healthy, that's a swing game because of just how good that defense is. Um, but we we've seen what they've looked like with with Chambers at quarterback. Uh, it's not very good, and that's a game that, that Carolina, even as good as that state defense is, they should be able to win an ugly game. So they should finish the season 10-2. and two. I agree with you. I have them at 10-2 as well. I, I still I, – I'm kind of with you with the Wake Forest game. I mean, it's there, and I think there is just so much 
go that that will go in the direction of Wake Forest in that game in terms of the fact that Carolina has seemed to get the breaks when they've needed them in the last two matchups against them. I don't know if they get those breaks in this game. And it feels like for Wake Forest, because look, I know they lost to Clemson. They have to get Clemson to lose twice. Clemson looked a little bit human the other day. So I still feel like at this point, I'm not saying that Clemson will ultimately not make it to Charlotte. I still think they do. But I think that Wake Forest will still feel like they are playing for something at that point. So, yeah, I, 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 that's the one on the schedule that I think Carolina loses. Pittsburgh, yeah, I don't think, I'm not going to say there shouldn't be any problem with them. But look, this is not the Pittsburgh team that we thought they were. To begin the season, um, the thing that scares me is is their running back. Uh, their running game is tremendous. Israel Abanaconda has been unbelievable so far this year, but Carolina should be able to win that game um, if they're going to win the ACC Coastal. Virginia, uh, look again. I'm not going to say that's going to be easy because Carolina never seems to have it easy when they go up there. But that's not a good football team. That's a team that Carolina should be able to put forty on in their sleep. Uh, Georgia Tech, I, they are they are a weird team. There's no doubt about that because even the loss that they suffered this past weekend, I, I, I get it. That's a team that, you know, still is fighting hard. Jeff Sims was banged up this past weekend. They're starting quarterback, so I don't know. And then NC State, look, NC State's offense wasn't good when Devin Leary was in there. They are even worse with him out. Uh, I agree with you. I still think that's going to be a really close game, though, because I do think that state defense is legit. But I think Carolina's offense will have just enough in that game to win. So yeah, I, I think I think it's ten and two. I think if they can if they can get there, seven and one. I think that's that's. Uh, the amount of losses you can probably afford in the Coastal to feel safe that you are going to win the division. Because I I, I think if you lose, let's say you lose on Saturday, Pittsburgh I, I, I still think has a heck of a chance to win the Coastal then. I think it's really also about who you lose to if you are going to take a loss. So that's more of it. But I think 10-2, and two, that's that sweet spot that you want to get to if you're Carolina. So... We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to you really quickly about Phil Longo's name coming up on a list to to replace a coach that has been fired already so far this season. Do we think that this is a threat to take the Tar Heels offensive coordinator at the end of the season? And we also have a couple of injury notes for you, as well as a game time for that game against Virginia that we were just talking about Stick around for that and more on this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast back right after this. Your kicker's lining up for an onside kick. The chances of regaining possession are slim. The stakes are high and the tension is higher. Your pulse is racing. He kicks and you watch as the ball lands. Make every play feel this exciting with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL and their unbeatable offers. Right now, new customers can make any $5 NFL bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Check this out. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. 
Maybe you want to bet on one of your favorite Tario players. Maybe you like Michael Carter and his matchup for the Jets that week. Or maybe you want to bet on the total number of tackles that Cole Holcomb will have in a game. You can do all that on DraftKings Sportsbook. To make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TPPN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Just place a $5 bet on any football game only at DraftKings Sportsbook using the promo code TPPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. There are plenty of ways to find out everything that you need to know about Tar Heel football and basketball. Just go to Facebook, search at Heel Tough Blog, and find the Heel Tough Blog Facebook page and like it. When you do everything, the articles, the podcasts, all in one central location on your timeline. Not a big Facebook user? Head over to Twitter. At Heel Tough Blog on Twitter, make sure you give it a follow, and you can follow the personal pages of our talents here at the Heel Tough Blog, at HTB Anthony for Anthony Pagnata, myself at HTB underscore Josh for Josh Marlowe, and at Hack Zubber two for our recruiting analyst Zach Hubbard. Hey guys, welcome back in Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Anthony Pagnata, Josh Marlowe with you. Really quickly, we're, let's talk about Phil Longo's name coming up uh, to replace Will Healy at Charlotte. Will Healy, of course, fired on Sunday. Um, people that you know are local to the Charlotte area probably know that. People more local to the Triangle maybe don't know it. Um, the Charlotte 49ers have fired their head coach um, who finished the last uh, two years. Uh, tw- it's 2-12 and 12 in his last 14 games at Charlotte. Before that, things were going pretty well for him. A guy that was extremely popular actually came up and was at one time offered the Missouri job but turned it down and uh, now is looking for a new job. And Charlotte is looking for their next head coach, their third head coach in program history. Of course, Brad Lambert was the other one. Phil Longo, a name that has come up. There are some other names that I think are more high profile, some other names that have maybe you know more direct ties to the job but definitely interesting that Phil Longo's name has popped up and it got some people talking and I think it's worth you know talking about a little bit here do we see this as a legitimate threat to take Phil Longo away from Chapel Hill or is this a job that you would think he potentially stays away from you know I said earlier today on Sports Radio 927 WFNZ nice plug that I, I don't know how attractive this job's going to be to Power 5 coordinators. Um, you know, because I know they're, they're moving to a new conference, a more high-profile conference with that, but this is a program that, while relatively young, uh, has only been to a bowl game, and, you know, it's it's being proven that it's going to take some, some work to, 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 to win and win consistently. I do think, though, Phil Longo fits the mold of guys that would entertain this job because I don't see him holding out and getting a Power 5 head coaching job right away. And this is a guy that was on the list for, was it was it Marshall when their last head coaching vacancy came open? Which, I'm going to be honest with you, probably was, I, I, never, I, I don't think that was going to happen. They kind of had their guy in Charles Huff. But yes, he, he did come up there. Somebody told somebody said at one time he was on the list for Central Florida. 
But I don't think that was ever really a legitimate thing. Because, yeah, no, and, and UCF Gus, say, Gus Malzahn was that was a clear and obvious hire. And, and UCF's uh, they were a, they operate as a Power Five program in a Group of Five conference. I so will say this though, they'll be in the Power Five next year when they join the Big Twelve. Yeah, and look, the American Conference—that's where Charlotte is going. So they are kind of taking that step up. It might be a little more attractive as well. So, so I do think, given how long he's been in in the Carolinas, um, as much as you know, this program is involved recruiting the home state. He's been in Charlotte quite a bit. I do think there will be some interest on his end because this would be a nice place. You would be relocating your family two and a half hours away. Mac Brown, who you could see as your mentor, would still be in your back pocket. So I do think this is a job that if you know if 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 Charlotte comes calling, he will probably entertain. And it, I think for some Power Five coordinators, it doesn't make a lot of sense because they could hold out and get a better job. I do think this does make a lot of sense, though, for Longo if he has aspirations of being a head coach in the near future. Interesting. I, I, I'm not going to say there's no chance. I think he will. He will look at it. Um, I think this is a is a decent step for him, no doubt about it. I will say I I do think that he is a guy that is more highly regarded than even some of Carolina's past offensive coordinators that have taken uh group of five jobs like Blake Anderson, um, who has done a tremendous job, by the way. Utah State not great this year, but outside of that, he has had some really good moments of success. Seth Luttrell, yeah, I mean, North Texas is kind of they're they're ebbing and flowing. But yeah, I mean, he's he's been solid. But the thing with Phil Longo is the track record is there for multiple years. It has been there since the minute that he's arrived to campus. So I do think with this being a generation that really loves young offensive minds, that likes to find that next guy, he could be a guy that could get power five looks. With this job, I think the the thing about this is if this was this time next year, I would say, no doubt, there's a chance that he could leave for this job. I think with Drake May coming back next year, that that is going to be something that is going to weigh on his mind. Because I think he feels like he's got something special here in Drake May, and he really feels like he can do something that he wasn't able to do with a special guy in Sam Howell. So... I wonder how much that factors into his decision. Don't get me wrong. I still think there is a chance that he could look at this job because, yeah, as you've said, he knows this recruiting area. Um, it wouldn't be like he would have to sort of learn the new the, the coaches in this area um, when he gets on the recruiting trip. No, no, no. He knows these guys. Um, and I think he could more than handle the job. I think that would be a, a pretty solid step for him. But um, I just wonder if he looks at Carolina's OC job next year as being a little bit of a better job than at Charlotte. And the thing about Charlotte that I think, you know, as you're kind of saying, how good of a job really is it? Because you're in you're in one of the weirder states when it comes to recruiting. I mean, look, there are some other states that have big time power programs spread throughout the state, like Florida. Um, but I think, you know, with those jobs, yeah, you, you can see the effect that it has on some of those group of five jobs. They're frankly not good jobs. There are some questions as to whether or not Charlotte is a good job because 
it's in a talent rich area. But the problem is, is that you've got North Car- you, you you've got Carolina, NC State, Wake Forest, Duke, and that's just the in-state Power Five schools. Not to mention that Clemson has recruited this area very well. Georgia has recruited this area extremely well. Ohio State seems to have a branch here as well. A lot of these national programs have gotten into the Charlotte area, so this is very far from an easy job. I wonder if Phil Longo will say to himself, look, I think there's potential there, but I think there's more potential with what this Carolina offense can become. And if he if if he is willing to bet on himself to become a future Power 5 coach and potentially to become Carolina's coach once Mac Brown steps away, which I think is is definitely possible. So here's the other things that I wanted to talk to you guys about before we got out of here. I mentioned injury news coming out. DJ Jones... William Barnes and Don Chapman, who all missed the game against Duke, they have all returned to practice, and it looks like they are on uh, uh, they are on pace to play in Saturday's game against Pittsburgh. That's huge. Uh, William Barnes being back is massive for Carolina on the offensive line. Jonathan Adorno wasn't bad, but I have that stability there from William Barnes, who has had a good senior season so far this year, will be welcome. Don Chapman, just having him as an option on the back end to throw out there at safety when one of the other guys is struggling would be huge. Hopefully Carolina does that, although he has been out multiple weeks, so it will be interesting to see just how healthy he actually is. And then DJ Jones. DJ Jones, he hasn't played a huge role for Carolina in terms of carrying the ball or even catching the ball out of the backfield, but he is easily Carolina's best pass-protecting running back Expect to see him in that role once again if he can get back in there on Saturday against Pittsburgh uh, with with a group up front that so far this year hasn't really lived up to the expectations, but they're more than capable of getting after the quarterback, so it'll be interesting to see what type of impact he can have. Meanwhile, Raymond Volosik, the defensive tackle, the graduate defensive tackle who, of course, his career has come to an end at Carolina uh, Mac Brown did announce that he will have surgery on Wednesday to repair his upper body injury. So uh, his season officially over. Uh, but the good news is, is he is getting that surgery done and hopefully will be able to be with the team down the stretch of the season on the sidelines. Uh, maybe do a little bit of coaching over there. That would be uh, definitely helpful for Carolina uh, on that defensive line. Meanwhile, the Virginia game set for a 12 o'clock kick on ACC Network kind of expected that Virginia not really a great team so we'll see uh, what Carolina can do it'll be uh, an afternoon game there kind of feel like that suits Carolina a little bit better than having to go on the road there like they did back in 2020 um, at night I feel like that kind of th- this kind of fits them a little better a bit better being there early in the afternoon kind of getting that game out of the way early um, so we'll, we'll, we'll see what Carolina does there, but an early kick on that Saturday, of course, this Saturday, still ACC network, but an eight o'clock kick for the game against Pittsburgh. 
And in the NFL, Cole Holcomb, again, leads the Commanders in total tackles. Another strong performance from him. Joshua Zudu, the rookie offensive guard for the New York Giants, steps in and plays a big role after Ben Bredesen went down early. Helps the Giants uh, run game and Saquon Barkley run for over 100 yards yet again. Uh, helps them get to 6-1. and one. And Michael Carter, nice day against the Broncos and now looks as if he is poised to be the starter moving forward. They're starting running back Brees Hall, an ACL injury. Hate to see that for him. He is out for the season. So it looks like Michael Carter the rest of the year will be their number one guy. We'll see how he'll be able to handle that role for a Jets team that is off to a 5-2 and two start to their season. So that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. Hey, guys, make sure you head over to the website, HeelToughBlog.com. As I mentioned, those, the, those midseason grades are will be coming out here this week. Make sure you guys are keeping an eye out. I've had some personal things going on that has unfortunately kind of kept me from being able to get those up uh, when I wanted to. I wanted to get them up over the weekend, but I uh, because of everything that was going on, those kind of got uh, pushed back a little bit. Um, so we are going to get those up this week. I'm going to try to cram as much stuff as I possibly can into this week as sort of the bi-week coverage uh, and you know, sort of also at the same time, wrap it up before Thursday and then get you ready for the game against Pittsburgh. We'll, of course, have you covered on the podcast side of things with that as well. And then after the game, we will have you covered with a recap, a stock report, a trench report, Ashton's analysis of the game, and then, of course, we circle all back on the back end and hit you with the press conference takeaway. So make sure that you guys are keeping an eye on that all over on the website at HeelToughBlog.com. Of course, basketball season right around the corner as well. Player profile for Caleb Love just went up, so we've got Armando and Caleb already up for you guys. Keep an eye out for the other three starters for the Tar Heels as we get closer and closer to the start of the season. Now just two weeks away from Carolina kicking off the 2022-23 campaign on the hardwood. So that wraps it up again for this edition of the podcast. Want to thank Josh for hosting with me. Want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. Hey guys, Anthony here. We want to thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. If you could, make sure you head over to wherever you listen to your podcast, find out where you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, and go ahead and do that for us. The rating and reviewing, that helps us to move up some of those rankings, and the subscribing, that is for you, so you don't miss any editions of the podcast coming up. We look forward to you being a part of the Heel Tough Blog podcast family moving forward, and thank you once again for listening to this edition.